Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We are almost at the end of 2020. And look, I, I started the day and coming close to ending the year by making a, just a terrible mistake. And all of my erudite readers are pointing this out. I, I wrote a piece about Mitch McConnell's latest maneuver with uh, with President Trump and said, you know, if 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 Machiavelli had been a playwright, he would have really liked this plot twist. Well, as as every school child apparently knows, or every reader of the Bulwark uh, plus newsletters apparently knows, uh, Machiavelli was in fact a playwright. He was a diplomat. He was a philosopher. He did all sorts of things. So I didn't know. So in a very stealthy way, I've kind of changed the version <laughs> of my post on the site to say, look, if if Machiavelli had written this play. Um, or Machiavelli being a playwright would have appreciated the plot twist. And it's basically just a look at how uh, Mitch, Mitch McConnell is in the process of reminding Donald Trump uh, who has the power and who's about to lose the power. And uh, it is kind of an interesting one without getting into the, the merits of the of the policy. Uh, as, as you know, the, the president at the last minute did the flip flop and decided that he was uh, going to uh, push for $2,000 checks. Interestingly enough, having spent the entire year railing about socialists in the Democratic Party uh, who wanted to defund the police, the president now is spending his final days of 2020 literally defunding the military. He's about to be overridden, but also aligning himself with Bernie Sanders in calling for the $2,000 checks to be sent out. And I think that he, he thinks that he's jamming Mitch McConnell this is kind of his his lashing out revenge at McConnell for acknowledging the election. So he thinks he's pushed McConnell into a corner. And so McConnell had this stark choice, right? You know, is he going to bow once again to the Orange God King or is he going to defy the president and, and play the villain and not approve the two thousand dollar checks? What he's done, and this is where Machiavelli comes in, he's chosen this third route where it looks like he's giving, at least on the surface, uh, that he's giving Trump everything he wants. He said, oh, the president actually wanted, he wants the $2,000 checks. He wants to repeal Section 230, uh, you know, the internet regulation. And he wants a commission on uh, on, on voter fraud. So I'm going to give him everything that the president wants. <laughs> but of course, the reality is that this is a poison pill. As everybody apparently knows in Washington, look, you put all those together, two things happen. You're not going to get it through the Senate. And even if you did get it through the Senate, it's pretty much dead because the House is is they're they're done. They're not going to pass this. There's no way the Democrats are going to vote to approve this voter fraud thing. So kind of in a in an elegant sort of way, and I understand many of you hate Mitch McConnell, but in an elegant sort of way, he's able to stand up and say, what? I'm, I'm not defying the president. I'm I'm actually giving him everything he wants. And of course, later today or tomorrow, uh, the Senate will vote, as the House did, to override the veto of the national defense bill. And next week, he will uh, brush aside the attempts to overturn the election. So my sense is that Mitch McConnell is kind of done with Donald Trump. Um, they got from one another pretty much what they wanted, or at least Mitch McConnell got from Donald Trump what he wants. And now he's basically saying, yeah, don't let the don't let the door hit you on the way out. Um I'm guessing that Mitch McConnell is not um, hiding in his office thinking, oh, my gosh, is the president rage tweeting about me? See, this is the thing about the rage tweets. They only work if people uh, you know, let them get inside their heads. And it is interesting that most Republicans apparently are terrified of those tweets, but not everyone. 
And up until now, most of the members of the Senate were terrified by the tweets. I'm not sure that's the case. Um, our guest today is somebody who also uh, is apparently not terrified by Donald Trump uh, tweets. And we are joined by Illinois Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger. Thanks for joining us, by the way. Appreciate it very Brother, much. Brother, it is good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, it, it, it is. It, I, I've been wanting to talk with you uh, because you, you are doing something that is extremely rare these days, which is you are a Republican elected official who is willing to tangle with Donald Trump to call him out. And apparently you're not you're not in the fetal crouch about the fact that he might tweet about you. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, just had a, he had just had a tweet like claiming that the Georgia secretary of state's brother is owned by China. He doesn't even have a brother. I mean, I think, you know, you're going to have people that just, you know, pay attention to the president's Twitter feed. Sure. And then I think some that have just tuned it out. And, and my view is this, you know, I've I've called him out since he's been in, in the presidency. But, you know, you don't do it all the time for everything. Right. But this once we got past the election and it turned from a tone issue or a policy issue into a complete undermining of democracy, I mean, I got to the point, you know, and I'm, I don't want to try to sound overly virtuous, but, you know, I ran for Congress when I got back from Iraq and I made the decision that I'm going to fight for the country on the inside. And I've always made the point that, you know, when people take political decisions and, you know, vote against the war, if it's Obama, for instance, and for it, if it's Trump or vice versa, but just based on politics is like, you know, we're asking 18, 19 year old young people to go fight and die for the country we got to be willing to put our career on the line and and i'm just i'm just over the undermining of democracy and the and the frankly massive damage that's being done with this yeah we had to mention to listeners who have, who may not be familiar um you were elected in in 2010 with a lot of tea party support you're a air force uh, former air force pilot uh iraq war veteran and still uh in the air national guard so uh Thank you for your service. Uh, Congressman, I, I, I want to start with the whole grift thing, because Ray, you, you, you mentioned after the election, because I, 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 I sense that there was a tipping point for you at some point, And we can talk about that in, in a moment. But, you know, basically, you have been one of, if not the only Republican member of Congress to call out this attempt to overturn the election for what it is, a grift. And I want to play for you a soundbite. I think it's from CNN. I expect there'll be a little chaos. This is a scam, though. I mean, you know, to explain to people that somehow Congress can overthrow the certified results of every state, that we can change an election outcome when there was not a single court case that had any legs. I mean, even if you believe that somehow the courts were, you know, inept in this whole process, if somehow you believe that this whole election was stolen, the reality is there is no impetus to overthrow an election even if you want to, and there's no ability to overthrow an election even if you want to. And so all that's being done is certain members of Congress, the president, et cetera, and, and you know, like quote-unquote thought leaders on Twitter are getting retweets, they're getting followers, they're raising money on this scam. It is a scam. It is going to disappoint the people that believe this election was stolen, that think this is an opportunity to change it. But instead of being disappointed in the people that led them on this grifting scam, they're going to somehow, you know, try to convince these people that it was, I don't know, what's the new word, the rhinos in Congress or something like that, and not the Constitution that prevents this from happening in the first place. We talk about the Constitution, we have to follow it, and I'm sorry if that doesn't mean that the outcome was what you wanted. 
So, Congressman, this is an inter- this is an important insight here because I saw on on Twitter this morning Frank Luntz, the Republican uh, pollster, tweeted out, "Well, it's not going to work," and you pointed out, "Of course, it's going to work because the goal here is to raise tons of money, right?" I mean, this is the machine. But people say, "What are they trying to do?" They've already shown what they're trying to do. They've raised hundreds of millions of dollars, haven't they? No, totally. And I mean, look at the whole January sixth maneuver, okay? First off, it ain't going to work, you know, and it's put all these members of Congress where they're like, well, if I go against the president, I'm going to lose a primary. By the way, we have not even been sworn into the next term yet, so we shouldn't even be thinking about primaries. But, you know, the the so you look at the January 6th thing and it's like all they're doing. So Mo Brooks and whoever, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, obviously knows more than anybody that's ever been you know, elected to Congress. Yeah. Uh, they're getting a ton of followers, they're raising a ton of money, and they're taking people that are hurting right now during a pandemic and taking their money from them, not because they're telling them the truth, but because they're giving them false hope. And they know damn well, all they have to do later is blame people like me or blame Mitch McConnell or, or blame Vice President Pence. But let's just think about it for a second. Let's say that Pence did have the ability to just pick whatever slate of electors he had. Now, when the Constitution was written, there was no term limit. So in theory, you'd be setting up where a president could stay in power for infinity if he just had his vice president pick the electors he liked. And we know, you and I both know, and anybody that listens to this knows logically well that was not the intention of the founding fathers. No, I don't think that was the intention. You know, last night I watched a a clip that uh, somebody, one of the cable stations played of Richard Nixon in 1961 uh, as vice president presiding over the announcement that John F. Kennedy had defeated him. And he gave a little speech saying how unusual it was for the vice president, the sitting vice president, you know, to be a can a defeated candidate for president. But then he talked about it as one of the most eloquent uh, symbols of American democracy. And it was really kind of striking to think that Richard, how gracious Richard Nixon was. um, And and so was Al Gore. So here's my question to you, though. You know, at this point, it does feel like the triumph of hope over experience that Mike Pence will do the right thing. But I mean, really, his choice is pretty stark. If if he doesn't go along with this attempt, um, the flying monkey is going to be released on him. You, you know what that's like on social media. He will be villain number one. If he does go along with it, his place in history will be infamous. I mean, this will be this is the the brightest red line that any vice president has ever, ever crossed. What do you think Mike Pence is going to do? Yeah, so I think he's going to do the right thing because, look, it's one thing to support the president on policy if you're the vice president and you disagree, you know, even to, like, swallow your pride and accept some of the crazy things Trump says because you're the vice president, you know your role. It's very different when you're talking about basically, in essence, a coup attempt. And I think that the vice president will do the right thing. But as you mentioned, here's what's going to happen. The flying monkeys will be released. Kinzinger and you know Romney will be out of the spotlight as the master rhinos, even though our positions have been amazingly consistent in the Republican Party for as long as we've been involved. And the new the new person that you know will be demonized will be Mike Pence, who has done nothing but supported President Trump. But it's you know it's in line with it because think of what's happened already with Jeff Sessions. Look at the governor of Georgia, the governor of Arizona, both big supporters 
of Donald Trump, now, you know, public enemy A. And the problem is Donald Trump doesn't like losing and he'll never admit he lost. So he'll always blame somebody else so he can save his pride. No, and it's you, you would think that at some point Republicans would become uh, would have become exhausted by this, knowing that the pattern that you're describing is there. The one, one concern I have, I agree with you, by the way, I think that Mike Pence is is likely to not involve himself with something as crazy and doomed as as this plan, this this clown coup. On the other hand, as of right now, and you and I are speaking on Wednesday morning, Vice President Pence has not acknowledged uh, Joe Biden's victory. He's not congratulated the first African-American woman to be elected vice president. He's never reached out to her. Uh, she's going to be in the in the chamber at the same time. Uh, when he was down in Georgia, he was you know, saying things like we're going to fight for every single vote to be cast. Uh, but if he honestly thinks that he can he can ride this alligator and not be eaten, I think he's incredibly naive. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, and I think, uh, you know, this whole I congratulated Joe Biden, like, I don't know, a day or two after the election without even knowing that this was going to be a, a, you know, a red line. Oh, my God, you you like my congratulations on Twitter is somehow making Joe Biden president, you know, and and uh, it's just like I, I think. This plays into the whole idea and, and my biggest fear, and I may be jumping the gun because you were asking, you know, what, what was kind of the turning point. But I just I've been thinking about this a lot, you know, and over these four years, quite honestly, but it really has hit home now, which is I don't have kids yet. I just got married. Hopefully I'll have kids someday. And and I, I think about so politics has really fallen off a cliff for the last 10 or 20 years. It depends on how you look at it. Mm -hmm. So you take 15, 20 year olds today that want to get involved in politics. They don't know anything about how politics can be professional and polite. What mm -hmm. they know is to get elected, I have to be loud and controversial. I have to play power politics instead of influence politics. They don't know what conservatism is because really since Ronald Reagan, there hasn't been anybody that's really taken that mantle. And so that's why socialism is attractive because promising equal outcomes in the absence of explaining what equal opportunity is, is attractive. And so I look back and go, boy, you know, I study foreign policy a lot. I travel a lot. Um, I don't want to become like a Latin, you know, American country where every prior administration gets arrested or, you know, parties surround powerful personalities and don't stand for anything. And that's absolutely where we're headed and not too far in the distant future anymore. So I'm, I'm looking at your record. You were elected in 2010 in the Tea Party wave. Um, according to 538, you voted with President Trump about 92 percent of the time. So what is your breaking point? Is, is, is it policy or is it is it this tone? I think my the biggest thing is tone, but I do disagree with some policy. You know, I, I'm a I'm an old school conservative. I'm a conservative like you are, right? I believe in smaller government. I believe in a strong national defense. I'm pretty hawkish on defense because I think America has a unique and important role to play in the world. And uh, you know, absent us, somebody else will, and that'll harm our economy if we're only concerned about America first. And uh, so policy wise, you know, I think the tax cuts were great for the economy. I think there's been some positive stuff. But, you know, it doesn't matter, frankly, marginal tax rates mean nothing if all of a sudden the country has descended in the inability to talk to each other and chaos and civil war. And all these people, the flying monkeys on Twitter, as you call them, that, you know, 
sit around and 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 threat make threats about civil war and they talk about civil mm-hmm. war and they're probably on eight different prescription medications that they're not going to be able to get the second the civil war commences <laughs> i think it's important for us to take this bull and expose what a civil war means you love your parents great they're not going to survive a civil war trust me and you know but instead we've just let the the darkness of the internet overtake us so I, this leads to this question, though, and you were asked this by a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. So what does it still mean to be a Republican in the era of President Donald Trump? What does it mean to be a Republican right now? Leaving aside conservative, liberal, uh, any of those things, what does it mean to be a Republican right now? Well, if I'm responding, honestly, I think what being a Republican right now means is has nothing to do with policy. You know, some people will say you're a rhino if you believe in, you know, not abandoning Afghanistan, the same people that attacked President Obama for abandoning Iraq, right? Um, I don't think there is any definitive meaning around republicanism, except you're opposed to the left. You're, you, it's, mm-hmm. it's a cultural battle. Um, what I want to do is, you know, even from my little position I can, is redefine conservatism. And it's not, it's not marginal tax rates. It's not even national defense. It's, that a kid born in the inner city of Chicago, you know, 30 miles from where I live, should have the same opportunity as a kid born in, you know, McLean, Virginia. That's conservatism. And all this other stuff around it is what builds that narrative, but that's the bottom line of it. And there is no conservative narrative in the Republican Party anymore. We are just, you know, a power party against the Democrat power party, and you better get yours while you can. So you've added this hashtag to some of your tweets, restore our GOP. And I guess the question is, how is that on earth ever going to happen? I mean, when you're t- you're you're looking at, you know, who the the new rising stars are, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Louis Gohmert's, the Mo Brooks, the Matt Gates, the Jim Jordans, uh, all of those folks, uh, the the number of QAnon folks, uh, you know, what will it take to restore the GOP and how optimistic you are, are you, that that this fever is going to break any time in the near future? So that's a really complicated question. I'll yeah. say it with this. Um, you know, the the, I don't know the, the new rock I don't either. The <laughs> new rock stars that come to Congress, right? I've seen, you know, I've been in for 10 years now. I'm not trying to sound like the old guy, but um I've been in for 10 years. And I've seen so many people come famous and be gone. I mean, think of like Alan West. You think of those kinds, right, that are just not anywhere anymore besides tweeting about secession. And, you know, and so on the one hand, I see that and say, okay, well, that's going to flame out. I think Marjorie Taylor Greene and some of those are either going to correct who they are or they're going to flame out, period. But in terms of how to restore the GOP, this is the fight right now, I think frankly, of the century for conservative politics is, can it be restored? I hope so. And what I'm, what I still believe is that once Donald Trump is out of office, once the spell kind of wears off and once, you know, he's facing his own personal problems and, you know, people that have been kind of holding on to secrets, talk about these secrets and, and, you know, it's like that Saturday morning hangover all of a sudden you're like, what did we do last night? That might be what happens. And in that case, there's a real opening for people that actually believe in conservatism to talk about it, but it's not from anger. It's from re re not, not redefining, but just kind of re explaining to people, you know, where this movement came from that said, and again, the thing that makes me optimistic is 
there's only two parties typically in this country and they always have to self-correct, but the internet has changed everything. And I think if the, if the Republican party continues down this road, I think it will open up room or a necessity for a, a third party, but that third party can't be necessarily based on, you know, things like abortion because you're just going to split back into your old right left camps it's got to be based on tone and a way of doing politics. And I don't know if that's possible. I, I don't know where it goes, but, you know, look, I'm not going to just sit here and be quiet so I can, you know, get reelected to this job again. And I guess one of the, the, the questions that I have that I have to wrestle with is, you know, what, what are the priorities of being a, a real conservative? You know, I you know, always did think of myself as a fiscal conservative, as somebody who believed in small government. So I guess the question is, and you had to vote on these things. You know, is is being a conservative, being in favor of low tax, uh, you know, low tax rates, uh, I- I- even if that means massive increase in the deficit. I mean, I remember you know, I'm, I'm north of the border here in Wisconsin and probably I, I, I estimate, you know, maybe a hundred times on my old radio show had Paul Ryan uh, on talking about the the dangers of the deficit and the national debt. And when Republicans got into power over the last four years, the the debt exploded by I don't know, how many trillions of dollars? I've lost count about it. So, you know, what, what is the relationship of being a Republican conservative who has just absolutely exploded the deficit? Are we now suddenly going to have born again folks like Lindsey Graham who said, you know, maybe we got to be concerned about the size of the national debt? Yeah, I think I think we have lost our moral authority on that, obviously. By the way, you're in Wisconsin and, you know, I'm in the Wisconsin Air Guard. So if Minnesota ever attacks, I'll come protect you. But that's reassuring. Um, Thank you. Good. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll tell you, I'm a pilot, though, so I'm not going to actually shoot stuff. I'll just watch it happen, you know. But OK, um, but I'll tell you, it's uh, it's this has been another thing I've been thinking about even before Donald Trump is, is that whole idea of debt and deficit. You know, I'm for tax cuts because I think at the time it was very important, especially on the corporate side, because a lot of corporations were leaving, we were overtaxing them, but we've gotten in, you know, in the eighties, there was this idea of lowering taxes because that would force government to make, you know, fiscal discipline decisions. And it didn't work. It doesn't work in the U.S. because we can just print money. We have the reserve currency and we're 30 trillion in debt now. And I think conservatism. So I've long actually since I've been in Congress, I've said we need the infrastructure bill and we have to raise gas taxes with it. And I'm sorry that, you know, that sucks. But, you know, the fiscally conservative thing to do is to pay for the infrastructure that you need now instead of putting it on the next generation. So I think fiscal discipline. A hundred percent. And this has been a big disappointment with President Trump, too. We have to talk about entitlement spending. Right. I mean, Illinois is a prime example of what's going to happen to the United States. Uh, And we may have to talk about taxes, you know, paired with real fiscal discipline, especially after this latest pandemic. No, I, I do think one of the important conservative values would be paying your your debts, paying your bills, you know, and 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 and, and leaving leaving the country better off than you found it. I don't think that that's, that's a right. radical position, and that and that's where infrastructure comes in. So let's I want to just go back to just a little bit because I do want to talk about the 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 state of our our discourse and some of the things you said about social media, which I think are very very interesting. Um, next week, um, I, I look. We know that. You know, the, the Mo Brooks and the Louis Gomers are not going to overturn the election. But my fear is that it's going to set a precedent and it's going to be a massive hangover. How many Republicans 
in the House of Representatives do you think will vote to not accept the electoral votes from states like mine in Wisconsin? How many are we talking about a dozen, two dozen, three dozen? Oh, are you ready for this? My oh, friend and no. I hope I'm wrong. Oh, geez. I'm guessing it could be upwards of a hundred. And, and really? here's the reason I, I talked to someone, you know, and obviously I won't reveal private conversations who, who has thanked me for what I'm saying. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, you know, you don't need to be as outspoken as I do, but say something. And he goes, well, you know, my district though, if I don't, you know, he's talking about January 6th. Like if I don't, um, you know, it's going to cost me my election. And I, I, I talked to another member who actually is really brave that I thought was going to call and shoot me out. And he called me and said, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm over it. And uh, so I think you're going to have some kind of, I, I don't want to call them heroic stories because it's not heroic at all, but some people that come out and take a strong stand. But man, I hope I'm wrong. I would not be surprised if it approaches three figures because I just think people are, it, it's like the Texas briefing, right? You know, yeah, they that's... knew that it wasn't going anywhere, but it was just much easier to sign your name and be done with it than to actually defend it. In the end, how many how many Republicans signed on to that? I remember the initial number was 126. And then and then Kevin McCarthy, you know, felt the need that those are my people. I need to lead them. So he jumped on. But the, but that that was probably an indication that what you're saying is is at least plausible that uh, this many can. But it's interesting you use the word heroic because this is this is really a commentary on our, our times that simply to do your job to to uh, uphold the Constitution to acknowledge a legitimate democratic election now requires courage from some right. elected officials when in the past it was that's what you were just expected to do you were just that was the bare minimum of being of you know upholding your oath to uphold the constitution and yet we'll see so you think it might be as many as 100 i got to tell you um that just that that turns my stomach just to even think about that to watch this especially given as you as you pointed out in that clip that we played, there is not a single court anywhere in America that has upheld these challenges to any of these electoral votes. There's not a single Republican legislature that has formally taken action to challenge the Electoral College. The Department of Justice has said that there was not enough fraud. There was not enough you know, pr problems to overturn the election. The FBI found nothing. You know, the evidence is so overwhelming. And yet, we have this alternative reality. And I could brush off the fact that Donald Trump is this con man narcissist. I could brush off the fact that you got crazy bullshit on, you know, uh, one America network, whatever, and, 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 and Newsmax. But if dozens of elected Republican congressmen vote to overturn the election, that's a whole different thing. Then, then, we're, then we're in a different political world, aren't we, Congressman? Yeah, and it's it's frightening. Like I said, I hope I'm wrong, but I just I'm looking at it going, I will not be surprised. And if that's the case, and and it's a totally different world. You know, it's funny when I got elected, the same some of the same folks that are you know now calling me the rhino, which is the irony because the real rhino is the president. Um, but you know that are calling me the, are the ones that when I got elected, you know, came over to me and said. Be independent. Be your own man. Don't go there and be co-opted by leadership. Do your own. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's what I plan to do because I represent 700,000 people. I just happen to be a Republican that does it. And uh, and now it's almost like we're in a, a semi-parliamentary parliamentary system where you're expected to have to 
go along with what the leader says. And, you know, it's interesting, even when I take on President Trump, you'll see the comments about, um, and Twitter's not real life, but it does drive politics. So I think mm-hmm. it's important. But the comments about, well, you vote with Trump 92 or 83% of the time. Yeah, because I'm a conservative Republican. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to be outspoken and independent. And that's what we have to restore. And here's the problem, is the, as you well know, the primary system. And we need people who are fed up with politics and how it is to actually vote in primaries. That's the biggest challenge right now. You, you mentioned that Twitter isn't real life. Um, but as you po- also pointed out, it is a glimpse of people um, who are unmasked. And there, there, there's, there's a frightening trend there. And, and you, ha- you have highlighted it. There are actual calls to violence. And I'm, I'm looking at your uh, quote from the Chicago Tribune. I wonder if we're catching on to what's happening with regards to social media and radicalization. I wonder if we're catching on too late. Is the horse out of the barn? It is not going to be something that is solved by politicians. And I agree with that. And I think all of those trends are getting worse. I think we can look back two years from now and say that, yes, you, you know, the, the, the rise of the completely, you know, irresponsible conspiracy mongers at OAN and, and Newsmax, um, you know, the rise of, of, of Parler, the, 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 the normalization of this extremist radicalized uh, rhetoric and and it, you use the word radicalization. We t- we talk about you know the radicalization of you know is Islamic radicals. That process is happening right now in plain view in our country, isn't it? Yeah, totally. And and I mean the enemy now. If you think about the fact, you know, we have a pandemic that China hid that is ravaging this country, and China is partisan. Democrats are hesitant to take on China. We have Russia that is creating disinformation, invading its neighbors, you know, X, Y, and Z, hacking the most massive hack of the U.S. ever. And I see people on Twitter that blame China because now Russia is somehow the Republican position. We have, we now see the other side of the aisle as the enemy and no longer our actual enemies. And the reason I'm concerned about it, and the reason I wonder if the horse is out of the barn is, you know, short of some really inspiring figure to come along, which, you know, God's in control and maybe he has somebody in the wings. But short of that, I don't see how Twitter, you know, or the Internet self-corrects. The thing I am optimistic about, but just barely, is I really like the movie on Netflix called Social Dilemma, did, which yes. began to mm-hmm. yeah began to expose how people get radicalized, how somebody that joins a mommy you know organic food making group ends up being recommended an anti vaxxer group, how all that stuff happens. I think the younger generation is waking up to it. The problem is my parents' generation, you know, that didn't know how to defend against a massive amount of information, have just been sucked in. No, they, they, they have been. You know, you, you you said something before, and I just wanted to go back to it. You said God's in control. So if God's in control, what is he doing? I mean, <laughs> you know, seriously, you know, because I, I sometimes will think that God has basically stepped back and said, you want to do this, guys? You know, you you want to exercise your free will? Uh, I'm going to test you. Let, let's let's see what you got here, because if if God's in control, then he's really messing with us in 2020. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, mean, I think there's there's a certain there's definitely a certain amount of free will. And, and uh, you know, I don't I don't know what's happening except that, 
you know, we tend to always see history, future and past in the eyes of America, who knows? And, you know, and there may be an amazing redemption story that comes out of this. All I know is, you know, from my humble position as a flawed servant is I'm going to just try to do right. And, you know, I'll either come out of this a hero, which is not why I'm doing it, trust me, uh, or I'll, you know, flame out and be the guy that tried to stand against. But either way, it's what's right. I can look at myself in the mirror. But, you know, as you know, because I'm sure you've been on the receiving end. I mean, we're in a time where people literally make death threats against you because, you know, and this is an interesting point about radicalization. If you think of like ISIS, ISIS hates Americans, but you know, they hate worse. They hate Muslims that don't necessarily believe exactly like they do. That's their biggest target. So who's the biggest target of some of the flying monkeys on Twitter? They don't really go after Biden that much. You know, they go after people like you and I who dare question the status quo. So tell me what your life is like right now, because I'm guessing that you are getting lots and lots of, uh, you know, hate of the season stuff from both sides. Um, folks from the left who assume that that all Republicans, all conservatives are evil and that if you have, you know, if you're late to the party, that there is no redemption whatsoever. And then, of course, the flying monkeys we've been talking about. So, I mean, what are you getting? You getting a lot of getting a lot of blowback from on, on Twitter. But what are you hearing from your constituents? You were just reelected by 30 points. You won, what, 65 to 35. You outperformed Trump uh, by uh, what something like 13 points. But but what are you hearing? What kind of mail are you getting? Are you getting threats? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's threats. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if any are taken seriously yet or I'd probably have security detail, but I, I carry everywhere I go. So, you know, just let really? to be clear. But yeah, because of actually a situation in Milwaukee in 06. But, um, you know, I'll tell you what, life is great, actually, for me. I, you know, I just got married and um, back in February, I'm having a good time. I look at Twitter and if that starts to overwhelm me, then I'll shut that off for a while. You know, I've, I've, I've learned how to recognize, you know, kind of BS you're seeing on Twitter versus what's real life. And the thing that's been reminded, like everybody will say, you know, wait till you're primary. I've been primary a bunch and I've always, uh, kicked the opponent's ass in a primary every time. And, uh, and so, you know, like for me, I actually, quite honestly, Charlie, I feel at peace right now because I'm saying what needs to be said and I don't have to sit back and try to navigate uh, the crazy time. I'm just, I'm saying this is the moment where truth needs to be spoken to power and I'm going to do it and we'll let the chips fall where they may. So what are the next 21 days going to be like, 22 days between now and um, the inauguration of, of, of the next president? What what should we be prepared for? You've described uh, the president as, as as raging and lashing out and trying to break things on the on the way out. That he's having, you know, a temper. He's throwing a temper tantrum with these crazy conspiracies. What do you What do you think is going to happen? I mean, you you said he's trying to burn the place down on the way out because he can't handle losing. Is it going to get worse? So I think it'll get worse till the sixth, and then I think it's going to get better after. And I'll explain. So I've actually had a lot of people that I thought would be mad at me for speaking out that have been, you know, texting me saying, Hey, you know, you're right. Good job. You hmm. know, and that, that's been surprising. And, uh, and I appreciate that. I think I really truly worry about violence on the six. And I hate by saying, I worry about it. I hate the idea that maybe that's some, you know, give somebody an idea, but I, I just think, you know, they've been told I've seen like 
pastors on Twitter tweeting that they're going to go January 6th because that's going to be the moment that God changes everything. And it's like, what's going to happen when somebody, I've heard your podcast where you talk about rational, irrational, or whatever you call it, where it's like, if you really think this is being stolen, it's rational to think X, Y, Z. So I do worry about violence on the 6th. After that, though, after things are certified and there really is no option left, then I think it starts to settle down and you'll have the crazies, but then you're going to have people generally, I think, settle into reality. I hope I, I, I'm generally an optimist. So I hope. Well, I, I hope you're right about that. My concern is that some of those people are so delusional that when in fact uh, they're, they're slapped by reality on the six, that that will complete the radicalization that, that in fact, there are a lot of those folks and you, you apparently are, you're keeping your finger on the pulse because you're, you're reading some of the same things that I'm seeing um, that they have no idea that Donald right. Trump is actually lost this election and is going to leave. So th- this is, they are still clinging to this irrational hope and just the irresponsibility of the people who know better, who are still feeding the part of the, the real evil of the grift is not just that they're taking money from people, but also they are misleading them and they're giving them this false hope that is going to be dashed on the six. And um, I, I don't know that they're going to get over that between the sixth and the the 20th. Okay. Just one last, uh, one last thing before we, we go. Um, how alarmed should we be um, about the reports that the uh, coronavirus vaccination uh, process is going much slower than had been promised and that the president is basically saying, not my problem. The buck doesn't stop with me. We came up with the vaccines. It's all up to the states right now, which is, again, the president of the United States stepping back and saying, it's not my problem, not my responsibility, and don't expect any leadership from me on this. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, this is the same guy that, you know, would, would talk about basically coming into states and enforcing his will, you know, when it came to the rioting, which I was very outspoken against the rioting, but, you know, I kept threatening the Insurrection Act because of that. And then, um, you know, now with all of COVID took no responsibility. I, I, I mean, I think there was actually a lot the administration could brag about with COVID. There was a lot they did really well. And I think, you know, this vaccine, the fact that it exists is an example of that and some other experiences I had. But I think the president is going to, I think in history, one of the most inspiring things I saw was that general that came out and took full responsibility for the vaccine rollout, because, you know, that takes some courage to do that. And I I think we'll get there. I think, you know, right now where it's it's at the very beginning, this thing will come out, we'll be good. Uh, But, you know, especially as new vaccines come on the line. But I, I think it's just kind of, the end of uh it's like almost poetic that he's just once again at the end of it not taking a bit of responsibility and is spending more time rage tweeting and golfing than he is actually concerned about the fact that there's you know uh continuing to be a virus that wrecks and ravages this country it's sad and uh this is where it's essential for us to continue to speak out to show people that he is not the only authority and uh but we'll see Will Joe Biden be able to get any bipartisan support to get things done? Or is is it going to be just like the Obama years? Oh, man, I hope it's not like the Obama years. You know, I'll, I'll oppose him when I need to, obviously, and work with him when I can. Um, I, I think, though, it's going to be such gridlock over the next two years, which probably is good for the country, um, that we may be able to get some things like infrastructure done. But if somebody... You know, people are going to have to have the courage to come off their orthodoxy and vote for a compromise, which is a dirty word now. But that's exactly what the Constitution itself was and was written to force. Congressman Adam Kinzinger, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it very, very much. 
Anytime. Thanks. And uh, I want to wish you and your family a very, very happy new year. We can only hope that 2021 will be better than 2020. Please, God. And back to you. Thanks. <laughs> and thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back with a year end full staff cast. Um, farewell. Actually, we're going to use a stronger F word. Farewell to 2020 podcast. Keep an eye out for that.